laced with cocaine like the Israelis do. Hey everybody, welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. And this is Ryan Parker. And Ryan, I feel like I feel like we've been here before. I I do too. <laughs> I'm at my kitchen table. I've got headphones on. I'm it's, in front of a microphone. It's all happening all over again. I'm pretty sure I know what uh, What am I gonna say music, next? I know what intro music you're gonna use for this episode of Killer Serials Podcast. I haven't even thought about it. Well, it's the what song it? every time uh, every time yeah. she walks out of the bathroom, every time yeah. Nadia walks out of the bathroom. I like how we go for a good solid minute before we uh, – talking about the show before we actually say what show we're talking about. Listen, everybody. We're talking about Russian Doll, which is a limited-run <laughs> series on Netflix. Eight episodes, 25 to 30 minute minutes each. I love this, Ryan. I love this format. I love this format of there's going to be no second season as far as I know. It was just they banged it out. It was really well done, well acted, beautifully shot, but I bet shot pretty inexpensively. I mean, I bet they shot the whole series in a couple weeks. There aren't that many sets. Yeah, I think you're uh, yeah, it's it would have been fun to see kind of a behind the scenes featurette and this is what I miss about uh not having so many DVDs or Blu-rays these days of of watching how they transformed the apartment, Maxine's apartment for the birthday and and the subtle changes every episode. That birthday party happens maybe over the course of the eight episodes, you're in that birthday party probably 30 times. It feels like it. Let's let's back up for a sec, Tony. I, what I want to do is let's because we're gonna, we can go down the rabbit hole on on the technical kind of brilliance of the show. But first off, let's talk a little bit about what we're actually talking about. As you've already said, it's Russian Doll, uh, a limited series on Netflix starring Natasha Leone. Uh, who most people will know from Orange is the New Black. And basically, it's a kind of a Groundhog Day story that focuses on this young woman who, let's just put it bluntly, she's kind of a shitty person. Yeah. She's very selfish. She, does, she doesn't really have any strong, super close friendships. Relationships seem to be a problem for her. Uh, and the series starts with her kind of coming to in the bathroom of a party. She's staring at herself in the mirror. And you quickly realize that uh, she she goes back into the party, kind of quickly establishes kind of the tone of her character, some of her characteristics, so to speak. And rather quickly in the show, she dies, uh, and she wakes up in front of the same mirror again. And thus begins kind of the Groundhog Day uh, element of the series where – she dies and wakes back up at the party. She's reliving this night and the following morning over and over and over again. Uh, but every time that she dies and comes back, something is slightly different about the process, uh, both because of people that she interacts with and because of the wisdom that she gains, kind of the insight and knowledge that she gains from each death. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, it's about her trying to become a better person. Right. And using these opportunities, uh, whether or not she's going to use these opportunities for good or for ill. And as the series progresses, we realize that this may not be an eternal process. Right. That time 
even though it seems to be on a loop, may not be indefinite for her, especially when she meets another character named Alan, played by Charlie Barnett. Uh, That's when things really start going crazy, and that's around episode four, so uh, around halfway through the series. So that's kind of the, the series in a nutshell, and there's so much more going on there with relationship with her mother, her past love life, and the relationships there. A lot of layers uh, in those relationships, but I think kind of overall, for the purposes of this discussion, that's kind of the big spiritual themes, right? Dying, coming back, trying to determine how to grow, change, improve. Once they find each other, I mean, you don't know that when it starts. There's a ton of spoilers in this podcast. It's a show you can binge in a week easy. Um, I, I watched it. I watched the entire series on uh, two plane flights, like a, a flight to Indianapolis and a flight home. I watched all eight episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting, there's obviously a turning point in the series when she decides there must be a way to break this cycle. I have to solve what's going on to break this cycle. And, you know, are we... Uh, the the obvious immediate questions are are we in purgatory are we actually dead uh no she rules that out and then is it hell about halfway through the series people start disappearing well first of all there's little easter eggs in there that you start to see like fruit is going bad like you see at the party or you see at her therapist's home uh, or you see at the gro- at the little um, bodega where she goes, uh, the fruit is going bad. Uh, bananas are going bad. But then at one point, where maybe in episode about six, she cuts one open and it's still fresh on the inside. So there seem to be two timelines going on: one in which the outside fruit is going rotten, the other, the inside fruit is not going rotten. So she realizes the the, the time is relative and alan helps her in that in some ways alan once once they find each other alan's smarter about this than she is because she lives a very undisciplined life and it becomes clear early on the series he lives a very disciplined life he's almost ocd or not almost i mean he's pretty clearly ocd the way that he lives his life it's interesting his initial reaction to dying and living again is kind of a screw it all. I'm just going to play video games and eat junk food. And he does that through a couple lifetimes, you know, the, the lifetime being maybe about a 24 to 36 hour period. But then they both kind of join forces and say, we're going to figure this out and try to break the cycle. And that's when the show really gets interesting. I mean, wouldn't you say that over the, over the course of the eight episodes, you know, you can't keep up the high intensity for eight straight episodes. It it starts out real strong in one or two. There's maybe an energy lull in three, four, five, and then it really, the juice picks up in six, seven, eight when they're getting closer and closer to solving it. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that the final three episodes were you know, it was almost impossible not to watch them all at once because of the way each episode ended. Um, I thought the energy level was quite high, the whole series across all eight episodes. I really do appreciate how you point out the differences. 
uh, between those two main characters who are experiencing these between Nadia and Alan who are experiencing the same thing, but reacting in completely different ways where Nadia seems to be this completely selfish person in life who exists kind of, you know, without a care in the world really. Uh, But you have Alan who is in this relationship cares deeply about his life, but there may be, as you've articulated some mental health issues that are also hampering him from moving forward in life. And then they die and Nadia attempts to become, uh, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, a better person, even though that takes, you know, a very long process. And Alan, as you said, just says, ah, screw it. You know, let's play video games and eat, eat pints of ice cream, you know? So to see how two characters take advantage of opportunity or fresh experiences or things like that was, was interesting to see, especially in those, I, I would say around episode five, six, seven. Yeah. Now, before we get into the, the more spiritual themes, I do want to make one cultural observation about this show. We've made it about other shows before, but one thing that I'm I'm always attentive to, and it's the difference between, I mean, where you live and where I live and the, some of the other projects that you and I have been thinking about and dreaming about is that this is a show for the people on the coasts. This is not a show, and, and this is what worries me sometimes about Netflix and Amazon. It'll be interesting to see where Apple TV goes with this. It is a show for coastal elites. And it I'm, I, I would say that because it's set in New York, and it's not just set in New York. It is so New York. The party that they're going to, Ryan, and I mean, I've been around. I've traveled around the world. I've lived on both coasts. The party that we're in maybe 30 times over the course of the the eight episodes is a party I have never been to. I have never been to a party like that. It is full of hipsters in a multi-million dollar Manhattan apartment. They are openly doing drugs. People are dancing. There's extraordinary food being served. It's a very like gender fluid, sexually open experience. So my my point in saying all this is not to take away from the brilliance of the show because it's a brilliant show and I loved it. But I am telling you that there are millions and millions of Americans who would never get past the opening scene because they would have no touch point of familiarity with the 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 where every episode starts, which is at this super East Coast New Yorky type of party. So I just want to point that out for listeners of our podcast and viewers of this of this series who maybe wouldn't otherwise think of that. I do want us to think of there are a lot of people who wouldn't uh, even give this series a chance because it's so far out of the planet that they live in. You're just old. I'm not just old. I'm also Midwestern, man. I'm kidding. I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of red state America, you know, and you, you bring up a good point about the, the, the character of the series and the setting. I love New York. I would love to live there uh, at some point for 
uh, a, t- a time. I don't know that I would want to live there forever, but uh, I love it. So that was part of the allure for me of the series. And you're right, it's extremely New York uh, centric. And I also, you also make an interesting point about the kind of unspoken economics of the show because whoever is living in that apartment and it may be Maxine's and her partners. I think it is. That is a multi-million dollar apartment. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And they seem to be artists. Right. You know, I, I don't know what their career. So not only is it that you've just never, you know, people may have can't identify with a party like that because maybe their circle of friends doesn't look like that. Well, it's not just that, right? Their circle of friends, even though, even though they may be radically diverse in terms of race, uh, sexual orientation, uh, what have you, they don't have the money to have a party like that, right? Or to have a space like that. So there are a lot of things going on just in terms of the setting that I think a lot of viewers may take for granted, right? And certainly... You know, it's really interesting. We're recording this on the day that Apple made their big announcement about their original programming that's coming up, you know, later this fall. I don't know. For a, for a company that does a fairly good job of making announcements and then having products available, you know, very shortly after they announce it, for us to have to wait for series until the fall seems a little ridiculous. But if you look at the descriptions of their series, they do seem to... Uh, intentionally or not, take into consideration exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There's not a lot about their series that seems co- coastal, right? Now, now, granted, we haven't seen any of those. We, we only saw minor clips, like very brief clips from each of those series. But, I mean, the ones that they led with, you know, the kind of the big push was, you know, Spielberg adapting amazing stories, Oprah doing docuseries about um, mental health, you know, a, a show with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Anson about a, like morning talk shows, morning news shows, a show about a, a true murder podcast host, right? Things that people across the country seem to connect with, you know, a, a dystopian kind of a post-apocalyptic series. Yeah. There's something about the way and the way that they talked about those series, about the power of story to connect people and quote unquote, change the world you know, a certain, uh, certainly some of that is kind of hyperbolic, but there, there does seem to be that awareness. And this is not the first time that you've talked about this, as you mentioned, about kind of the coastal nature of some of the series that we've covered. I wonder if there's enough. It'd be interesting to see how the show or where the show has landed, because that, that kind of Groundhog Day, which is an extremely popular film, right? Yeah. But dated. Yeah. I wonder how many people of a certain age, like of of a of the younger generation, know that film. But the kind of the larger than life supernatural theme of dying and coming back and dying and coming back and reliving the same day over and over, is that enough? Does that transcend what you identify as maybe a culturally elitist facade? I don't know the answer. I I, I do. You know, the show is made by coastal people, including the, you know, a lot of listeners will obviously know who Amy Poehler is. Uh, I'm sure it's just easier to set when they're writing something like this. I'm sure it's easier for them to set it in this environment because it's the environment they know. 
But I'm telling you, that's a very elitist environment that very few people who are in America and watch TV know. I'm, I'm trying to think about I'm thinking about series that that people have been involved with, you know, how like especially these creators, you think about Parks and Recreation, you think yes. about Orange is the New Black. Yes. But then you think about other series that have kind of cut through all the clutter, the kind of larger than life series. And and they're not. They don't tend to. I mean, mm, Seinfeld was set in well, Seinfeld was set in New York, but it was not super New Yorky. Friend, oh come on, man! That show was so New York. I mean, no, but the humor wasn't New York humor. This is what I'm saying. Friends, Friends, Friends. It's the same way. You know, Friends could have been set in Minneapolis, like the Mary Tyler Moore show was. You know, or you think about All in the Family. And, you know, these are more even even if they're set there, there's I'm not saying it's because it was set in New York. I'm saying it was because it was set in that apartment in New York. That apartment sure. is out of reach for ninety nine point nine percent of Americans. That's all. I, I don't want to uh, belabor this. Yeah, but so was, yeah, I know. But so was the apartment in Seinfeld and Friends. <laughs> that may be true. Let's let's move on to the the kind of the moral significance as our third act here. Let's move on to the moral significance of this series because the final episode has taken some heat for being a little too kumbaya feel good. It's not what you expect. You know, it's it's just not what you expect from Natasha Leone. Orange is the New Black is a pretty dark dramedy, and she's among the most dark of the characters in that dramedy. Um, but it, it, the, the series ends up with the two characters being caught in different times. Like th- they're, they're experiencing each other in different time loops. And They've each been kind of they're they're each in their fully realized and enlightened selves gets thrown back into the first time loop of the other character. So they're both set with trying to convince the other character that this can end differently and better, which is a pretty fascinating thing. And they go to like even a split screen and I don't know what you call a split screen with four screens, a quad screen or something at one point when you, and you're trying to watch them each work their way through the opposite timelines. And I thought it was beautiful and fascinating. And quite honestly, I'm glad that they ended with an interesting redemptive finish. And here's what I would even say is most interesting about it. Ryan is that Alan is even more of a savior figure for Nadia than vice versa. And it's not what you would have thought when you started episode one, you would not have thought that Alan was, would be the same. He's not even in episode one, but like in episode two, you know? So I liked that. I like that he rescued her, that he, he, he saved her by getting through to her, getting her away from that skanky, nasty guy who is one of the skankiest, nastiest guys on any TV show I've ever watched. Oh, the professor, the the professor. Sure, yeah, yeah, sleaze, sleaze ball. So skanky, nasty. So, and, talk to me some more about talk to me some more about Alan saving Nadia. But I think it may be more complex than that. 
Well, no, they both save each other. But I feel like Allen works a little hard. Has, here's what I'd say. Allen has to work a little bit harder to save Nadia than Nadia has to work to save Allen. Okay, because when they're in each other's first loops, Allen is drunk and suicidal. And she convinces him not to commit suicide, which which is no mean feat. I mean, that's a big thing. But it's almost like he did already have a will to live and she tapped into it. You flip the script and it's Alan. She has to convince Nadia. They're they're both going down self-destructive paths. Okay. Nadia convinces Alan not to commit suicide. Alan convinces Nadia not to go home with Mike, but it's much, much bigger than that because Nadia is basically a nihilist who doesn't believe in anything. And he is convincing her that that makes her harmless. He is convincing her to break, break from that. Nobody, you didn't catch my Lebowski reference. That's okay. Yeah. I Um, hear you. The, no, but I want to ask, I don't disagree with the way that you talk about them saving each other, but well, maybe I do is, could you not see this as Nadia's efforts to do the best for Alan, so to speak, to help him is what saves her. And it's not Alan saving her. And that, may vice be, versa. that may be because that is what causes her to cross the street, right? Like Alan helping Nadia is what makes him a, a better person. So ultimately the whole theme, one, one large theme of the series is that the more we live for others and, and, and not a cheesy way, right? Cause this show is not, it's not that it's not that it doesn't wear its spirituality on its sleeve. I don't think because it is a little bit darker and at times more nihilistic where, but that you can still make the case that when we live selfless lives or at least lives that are directed outward, that is infinitely better than just being so self-centered and, and yeah. focused all the time that yeah. our problems are often uh, alleviated that way. And maybe, maybe even more so than going to therapy, which I'm not saying don't do that, but that that may be one ingredient or a powerful ingredient in along with, you know, being involved in a uh, self-help group or a religious community or the more traditional forms of, of self-improvement that's quite simply serving others is a, is a powerful way to, to become a better person. Yeah, I do like that. And I, and I'm, I must say, that's why I disagree with some of the criticisms of the show that, it, and you know, it's like, where are you seeing those? Like when you say it's taking some heat, which, Oh, what, like what I've read a few reviews of it. I've read a few reviews, or if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, where it has a huge score of ninety six percent, because people love it. But some people are like, "But the ending is just too much of a happy ending." And I think that's partly because you know we live in this era now where we're expecting dark endings. We do live in a post apocalyptic genre of 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 you know the fade to black, the Sopranos finish of darkness and who knows what happened um and i like that this didn't end like that and i i like what you're saying that you know helping others ends up being redemptive and both of them for different reasons were pretty 
self-centered. I, I just I want to say one other thing that I th- that I I really appreciated about the show. Alan's personality disorder seems to be obsessive compulsive disorder. I thought that was portrayed well, if not very empathetically. But I do I I, I will say that the little it wasn't a major part of the show, but the little glimpse we got into the mental illness of Nadia's mother. Uh, the heartbreaking. Which I thought was so not not only heartbreaking and fascinating, but it really was portrayed. I would say it's true to life. As somebody who's known, you know, people with mental illness, she gets crazier as time goes on. Chloe Savigny, you know, you she's she was in um per- what's that? a perfectly cat a perfectly cat a cast for yeah. Chloe, and, and when she goes just into but the- also understated, right? There's a moment, you know, it it does escalate, but even at its most intense moment of of her kind of break, it it still felt restrained, uh, which I think contributes. I to agree. That, this is what I feeling think, of like, believability. The, the the whole watermelon thing. It through the through the course of that episode, it it you're right. It's a slow burn until you get to the point and you get to their apartment, and the entire apartment is full of watermelons, and you're like. I've known people who could snap like that. And this poor kid is helpless in it. You know, her mom's going crazy before her eyes. She's obviously ultimately rescued by the therapist, uh, chain smoking lady, but it's really, I, I just thought it was done well. And it was, it actually as crazy as she was and, and a, as clear as it is that she, her mental illness affected her daughter, the character of her daughter. And she grows up into this, basically into a nihilist, but still, I think it's portrayed empathetically, which I must say I appreciated. And it's really a very striking thing. This whole, the, the, the watermelons in the apartment, then all the mirrors getting smashed. And you just see somebody in the, in the course of like a 25 minute episode, you basically see somebody, coming completely unglued which is not that that that's that's like um kudos to the director of that episode because that is not easily done what's another you know we talk about the morality and maybe the spirituality of the series what's another takeaway for you i think here's a takeaway for me that you can take a a fairly familiar premise of a time loop which, you know, we all say Groundhog Day because that's the kind of most pop culture thing. But there's, you know, there, there have been many sh- TV shows and movies and, and novels, too, that have played toyed with this idea of, a, of human beings being caught in a time loop. So you can take if you're creative enough with good writing and good directing and good acting, you can take a pretty familiar premise that people know. And you can do something really beautiful and and creative and brilliant with it. So I was a little skeptical going into this because I'd heard, of course, the Groundhog Day analogy, because that's what people use when they talk about this show. And every article you read, that's the first pop culture reference you read is like Groundhog Day. But it's really not like Groundhog Day. I mean, it is in that the same day keeps getting replayed. But that was such a comic farce, you know. And this is this is 
so much more serious with serious issues like mental illness and suicide are woven into it. I just say like kudos and to any creative, you know, those of us who try to do creative things in the world, it's a reminder that you can take a common familiar premise and do something new and interesting with it. Hey, Tony, I'm not smart enough to actually flesh out this idea, but I do feel like I have like good enough taste to pick out series like this. I feel like I want to reference another show that I'm not sure if you've watched or not, but we really do need to devote some killer serials time to is the good place, uh, which is a comedy on NBC, which is there's a little time loop factor going on there in a way, not as, not as intense as Russian doll, but very uh, spiritual, very moral, very philosophical. Uh, And in fact, in the good place characters, there's one character who is a, ethics professor right and they reference ethicists uh, philosophers maybe even some theologians fairly highbrow comedy i've always said it would be a great series to teach i think russian dolls probably even better yeah because rather than naming the philosophies that influence it it's actually just embodying i think that's right a whole range of philosophies and potentially theologies and because it's such a as you said, have said a contained narrative, you know, I think it would be a great resource for uh, ethics professors, theology professors, philosophy professors, you know, again, not that I'm going to write out that lesson plan, but it feels like for, for people who may come across this podcast who move in those circles, I think it's well worth their time. And I think it's something that students could potentially respond to uh, in some creative, interesting ways. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think there's some nuance in the series that I mean, the good place is over the top and they it, it, the, 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 the good place puts its footnotes on public display, you know, as some shows do. They they make it very clear what they're referencing and stuff. And this I don't have a problem with that in a good place no. because it's such a well, yeah, well written show. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think this would be a good one to to teach. Yeah, it's. I feel like we should, uh, but I forgot to talk about, I love the fact that she was a video game designer Oh, and how, and how video games are, uh, are nothing but a time loop. Right. And, you know, we could have right. had, that's true. We could have had Craig Detweiler on here to talk about the theology of video games and how dying and being reborn again, gives us the opportunity to be better people and all that good stuff. And Alan is trapped in the game that she designed and he can't beat it, and nor can she. When she goes to try to play it, she realizes that she's created or participated in the creation of a game that can't be beat. Right? Isn't that? Yeah, that's a, that's a little fascinating Easter egg. That I'm not a video game guy, so it didn't really occur to me. But you're right. Now that you say it, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, overall, I'm super happy with it. I'm glad we watched it. I love. Here's what I love. You know, you probably could be like, let's just say you're Amy Poehler. And you're at a dinner party and you're talking to a couple of creative people like her, her two co-creators of the series. And she's like, I'm Amy Poehler. Do you realize how busy I am? And they're like, no, no, no. We don't want to lock you into a seven, seven year long, you know, 12 episodes per year series. Let's just do a short run, eight episode. Each episode is less than 30 minutes. Um, we'll just do it 
we'll just bang it out. It'll be super interesting, super creative, and then we'll be done with it and move on to other projects. Yeah, let's do it. Like, I, don't you see more and more of this coming? This is never a thing that would have ever worked during the network TV era. We're just going to do eight episodes. Like, they'll be like, what? Are you talking about a mini series? No, it's not a mini series. You know, it's like. Yeah, I, I, again, I would love to see the behind the scenes, yeah. some, some behind the scenes uh, video footage of this where, you know, how long did it take them to shoot all eight episodes, you know, the set design, you know, breaking down the sets, building the sets, like, did it, you know, just the whole, the, the logistics behind the, the series. And I'd probably, I could find some more of that information yeah. online, but there's sometimes I, I wish that, Oh, I could just drop down after episode eight and watch, you know, a making of featurette. Yeah. Just within the app itself. But you know, Tony, what, what should we discuss next? Um, the OA season two. There may be special guests involved. I started watching episode one today and I'm intrigued. All right. I'm going to dive in tonight. The OA season two. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to killer Serials, And, uh, we appreciate your support and listening to the pod and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone.